I'm Mary Lyons, the Wealth Woman. And I'm Eric Alexander with Acorn Grove. Welcome to the Big Wealth Podcast. I am still not used to that. As I'm, soon as you said it, I'm like, what's coming out of his mouth? <laughs> I'm still not used to it either. Yeah. Well, if you didn't, if you didn't catch our last podcast, just as a, a quick catch up, one of the things that Eric has done recently is he has launched his own company, which is focused on the education side of our industry. And that company is Acorn Grove. So we are both still working as advisors with Benchmark Income Group, but we are changing our intro outro because we are focused on education uh, in the podcast as opposed to specific advice. And so we uh, we just wanted to make sure you guys know what's going on if you missed the last one, but I'm really excited for Eric. This is such a cool step for him. Yeah, well, for both of us, it's exciting. Yeah. Uh, it allows us to go faster and, and reach more people, which is always sort of the mission. So for those of you just joining us, that's what we're doing. Yeah, welcome uh-huh. aboard. Um, so today, you guys are going to get a completely unfiltered ADD, Eric and Mary, Um, And I I say that because when I think back to why we started doing these podcasts in the first place, uh, we were having these types of conversations anyway, and we thought, why aren't we recording them? And then we've been more deliberate about what we're talking about for every particular podcast. And, you know, sometimes there's research or work that has to be done ahead of time. And um, one of the things that I think both of us kind of miss is the more organic, free-flowing, I can't even speak today, uh, free-flowing delivery of all of this. And and I think both of us have a trait on the strengths finder in our top five called ideation. And we both have strategic. That that I think is our only overlap in the top five. Top five, yeah. But I think part of the reason that we've really enjoyed these conversations is because it allows us to tap into both of those aspects of our personality and then kind of build off of one another. And I have found that sometimes some of our best ideas have come from conversations just like this. Well, or an airport or or an airline trip and, you know, sitting next to you trying to go figure out the scope of the universe and, you know, Venn diagrams and everything else that gets sort of born out of those conversations are always sort of fun. Right. It's all usable. So today, um, one of the things I think we want to really speak toward is a mindset focused topic, but it's probably going to bleed over into strategy and even potentially some tools in the conversation. But um, I I think that this, uh, this idea of a scorecard is something that you and I have kind of batted back and forth over and over again. And Um, I think some of it was actually born of a conversation that I had um, with a woman who's been very influential in my like personal and professional life, Jennifer Carter, who runs the executive women's forum. And, um, you know, at some point I was talking about what I was building and, and I said to her, I'm, I'm successful. Why am I not happy? And she said, well, you're living by somebody else's scorecard. And it was a very profound moment. For me, this idea that I was winning by someone else's standards. And because of that, I felt like I was losing. And so I I feel like this just keeps coming up in different ways and iterations in our conversations, Eric. Yeah, well, and it's fascinating because it keeps coming up with clients as well. You know, there's this idea that I was used with clients that at some point we're going to have sort of a very short dating period and then we're getting married. Like we're, we're, 
My mission is, whether you want me or not, my mission is to be in your life for the next 30 or 40 years. For a long time. Or, or a lo as, long as, as long as you can stand me and I'm above ground, right? But, you know, one of the things that always happens is life changes, right? We get curveballs, we get opportunities, we get all of these things that come in. And so life continually adjusts. And when they're adjusting and you're in the middle of it, it's hard to keep getting excited about what you're doing if you can't see the progress. If you don't know where you're moving, if you don't know what that looks like, your dad had one of my favorite phrases. And I've, I've as we talked about earlier, I I don't have any cool new ideas. I just steal everyone else's ideas and, sort of <laughs> you mean rework, and rework them. But he had, a, he had a phrase. He said, it's hard to be aggressive when you're confused. And I've added a tagline onto that. It's hard to be patient when there's no plan. Yeah. And and I think this idea of the scorecard is for, for you and for some of the conversations we've had is, what am I actually measuring myself against and where am I going personally? But I think for, for a lot of clients, you know, we're there to help them with that part too. I think half of our job is counseling, uh, if not 80%. But then the other half is how do we help them set up financially where they're going so that they can stay in the game? Right. So can, can we talk for a minute about, so what you just said is when life is essentially coming at you, it's really hard to, to deal with sometimes. Right. And I, I think one of the things that I've been reading about a lot and that we've talked about a lot is uh, making choices very deliberately and intentionally to build a life you're excited about, as opposed to just reacting to the things that are being thrown at you. And I think I'm obsessed with that because it's very easy to see opportunity all over the place, but it's very difficult to know which opportunities you should lean into and which opportunities you need to shy away from. And I remember a conversation that you and I had probably several years ago where um, we were talking about Warren Buffett and he had this sort of pyramid of like, these are all the things that you're interested in and good at and that you like to do. Right. And he talked about the ones that were the most dangerous because they pulled you away from the one thing that was important. Can you talk about that for just a little bit? Yeah. My gosh, that was, it's, it had to have been a decade ago, but yeah. and it, so I'm going to butcher this. So Warren, because I know you're an avid listener, um, if, if he's not, by the way, but if he you're might be. you don't know, he you don't know what he does in his personal time. I mean, he probably is. He and Elon Musk get together and watch and listen to the podcast. And so, listen to it. <laughs> so, but I think, I think if I remember his model was take, take this massive list and spend time building out your list all the things you like, all the things you want to do, all the things that you're, that's going on. And out of that, out of that top hundred or thousand or whatever, pick one or two and then throw the rest of the list away because everything else below the top one or two, and he probably had a better number for that than I did or that I'm remembering, but everything below that is just a distraction. It's just something pulling you off sides and it's the shiny object that will, will eventually make you unhappy. Would Zig Ziglar had that quote, right? Um, most disappointment in life is caused by giving up what you want most for what you want right now. Right. And I think that's, I think it's the parallel to that Warren Buffett model is all of the things that seem cool in the moment. And I'll use Bitcoin because it is the latest sort of seems cool in the moment deal. Sure. I should be doing these things and these things and these things. But have you heard about Bitcoin? I'm like, yes, I've heard about Bitcoin, right? I'm going to go do some of that. Okay. <laughs> Let's see how that goes, right? And it and it sometimes it works out well, sometimes it doesn't. But it's pulled you off sides. 
Right. So Tim Grover in his book, Winning, um, talked about this to a degree as well. And um, Tim Tim Grover was the like physical and mental coach for Michael Jordan and then oh, right. Kobe Bryant. And in his book, Winning, he talks about, you know, if you're going after the one thing, then it's easy to stay focused on what you're doing. But the moment you're like, well, I need this one thing plus this other thing, plus this other thing, plus this other thing. Those are the distractions that pull you away from whatever it is that you are really pursuing. And, and I think there's, um, for most of us, right. Most of us are not Michael Jordan or Kobe Bryant. Um, and we aren't just focused on one thing, like winning is not the only thing we want to do in our All life. Um, right. But this idea that, you know, you can build this sort of, sort of multifaceted life, but you can only have a couple of priorities, right? I mean, and really technically it's only a priority if it's singular, right? Mm -hmm, right. Um, and so I, I think this idea of having a clear idea of what you want and then having the ability to filter out the things that take you away from that. And I'm, I'm reminded of a story that's in the book, The Gap and the Gain, um, that's written by Dan Sullivan and uh, Benjamin Hardy. And um, what they talk about in that book is, I think the British rowing team, how they, they, you know, were mediocre at best for quite some time and then went on to win at a really high level. Um, what he actually talks about there though, is they gave themselves a metric for making decisions. And the, the question that they asked is, will it make the boat go faster? And so if the answer was no, they didn't do it. And if the answer was yes, they did it. So is a late night party before practice going to make the boat go faster? No, then don't go to the late night party. Um, and I, 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 I like the idea of that, but it's still, you have to go back to what, what scorecard are you playing by? How do you define a win? And I think all, all these books that I'm reading right now have a common thread which is about what you have to do to actually win. But the thing that seems to be um, the focus, at least in the gap in the game, is how do you define winning? Well, that's so personal. It's incredibly personal. Well, and the thing, in the, and we're slightly obsessed with that book, and and I'm I'm at at least as obsessed with uh, Who Not How, which is one of their other books by the same two guys. Um, I think one of the other components in that book that was so powerful is you have to understand that your your ideal, your metric, your scorecard, your vision of who you're going to be is a horizon line in the future for which you will never get. Right. And you have to be okay with that. And and you because if it's something that's really important that you're working towards, there probably isn't an end. Mm -hmm. Right. And so if you're there's always more. Yeah, there's always more. It's like, well, my mission is to be an amazing dad. Well, I don't, I don't get to the point where I'm like, yep, yeah, I was an amazing dad today. Cool. I've achieved that goal. And now I'm going to go do something else. Right. No, I should probably keep trying to make that better. Um, but then it can be frustrating because there's a lot of what they talk about in the book, right? This idea of, um, well, I'll be happy when, or right. I'll be successful here or when this happens, then I can do that. Right. right. So, no, 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 no. You got to do it now. You got to do it now. And if you're not happy now, you're not going to be happy in the future. Like that, the new Maserati is not going to make you happy. 
Right. Well, I think one of the things that has been very helpful for me in that gap and gain book in particular is um, reframing it as I'm being successful when not I will be at some point in the future, but I am actively being successful when I get to do these things. And then you define it because, you know, it even goes back to um, some of our conversations about the book Wanting by Luke Burgess uh, or Burgess. I think I just mispronounced his name, but um, you know, this idea that desire is mimetic and there are intrinsic desires and then we're copycats. And so when you think about what happens with social media, all social media is designed to trigger that sort of mimetic desire. I want to be like this person. I want to have the things they have. I want to have the experiences that they have. And I think sometimes when we look at that, it makes us feel what's missing in our own life. Um, And then we start to believe if we have those things, we'll be as happy as they look in the pictures. And, you know, you can, you can scoff at that, but that is the entire point of advertising And the movement is, you know, away from, you know, on TV, we're doing this big ad to something that feels more personal, where we get to sort of script who we're following and who we're we're doing. But I find when you start looking at like the rise of depression and anxiety and stuff like that, there's a there is a trend line that follows social media usage because of that. And so I think again, it goes back to are you measuring your life against someone else's scorecard? Because I I mean, I think all of us are prone to this. And I think saying that we're not would be a a total uh, farce, in my opinion. Um, And I think if anyone's like, well, I'm not like that, I I would encourage you to do some introspection. Um, And he talks about that. (laughs) If you think you're not pushed around by this, you're the one that needs to be helped. You're the most likely to actually have the- You're not actually paying attention. The struggle, right? But I, I find this happens all the time, and especially living in Dallas, I think it's, uh, it's particularly difficult because it's a, it's a city where um, there's a lot of like social hierarchy based on money, and so it's you know all these things that you need money to do, and and I think it's kind of funny to say this as an advisor because you know, you, you, if I were going to stereotype or scorecard an advisor, it's all about just building your net worth and having the most money at the end of the day. But I don't think that's how either one of us view this. It's about how do I take this thing called money and use it in a way that allows me to have more purpose and fulfillment. And one of the ways that you get that is by introducing predictability into income, uh, efficiency into what's happening with the dollars that you're actually saving. And, and then the last one, which I kind of already said, right, is how do I have income that comes in no matter what I'm doing with my time? And so if you have that kind of predictability and you know that each dollar is, you know, generating multiple benefits and you know that, that no matter what happens economically, that you have a plan or a strategy for weathering that storm and you've got the potential for upside. I think you you were, um, when we were talking earlier today, you actually mentioned kind of three other ways of looking at things. And I, I always sort of default to predictability, efficiency, and income. But what was it that you said earlier? Yeah, so the what, what did we call it? Security, liquidity, and acceleration. Yeah, um, I think there's some overlap. I mean, if we go oh, to your sure. love of Venn diagrams, this is like a 
what a six sided Venn? Is that a thing? Hexadecimals Venn. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, but I, I that's but it's the overlap there. I don't. I think is sort of intentional to some extent, just because this is how we look at the world. Like right. sort of an outgrowth of what we do every day, and sort of how we how we sort of poke at the world and look at it. But on both of them, I think that efficiency, when I think of predictability and I think of security, I think of those as sort of, you know. Very similar. Yeah. And and really, it, it's, it's all about, you know, chaos and opportunity kind of look the same and they both require cash. They both mm -hmm. require liquidity. But mm -hmm. chaos comes with another component of it is. It, it could take you out if you haven't built the moat around the castle. Honestly, opportunity could too, if we're being honest. I mean, how many times are people are like, oh, this is a sure thing. And then they just lose their shirts. Yeah. Well, you and I are both building homes uh, in another state. And right. I'm working through the math uh, yesterday, two days ago, whatever it was. And I'm like, wow. Oh. We got to, I got to pull out the bullwhip and the cattle prod and get some people moving on their end of it or, right. or right. bad things are going to happen or, you know, interest rate, the interest rate from when we started that project to where we are oh, now. Totally different environment. It doubled. Right. It's not a different environment. It literally doubled. Right. And it's a variable. The cost is very different now. Well, and I think this is just it, right? I mean, so so let's talk about, um, because to me, I think the building in Broken Bow, that's more about the acceleration piece. Absolutely. And, um, and the thing, you know, this has been quite a journey, I think, in some ways for both of us, specific to the building side. And the environment is radically different than it was before. Right. But this is where, and maybe efficiency is a part of this conversation too. This is where on the initial outlook for these particular investments, right. the cost side of things versus the upside potential had such a huge uh, gap, right? The difference between what things were selling for and where they are, that even if the market took a 40% hit, you still at least break even. And so when you think about security, right, that's security when you're looking for acceleration because the market can change dramatically and you're still at least able to recoup what you put in. And right. so what happens then is when the unexpected happens and things don't go the way you planned or, a, you know, a contractor charges twice what you thought they were going to or the timeline extends, uh, there's wiggle room. And I think a lot of times when people are looking at that acceleration piece, they aren't looking for what happens with the efficiency or what is my liquidity like? Could I carry it for a longer period of time? How do I bake in security so that I don't end up upside down on a project? And, and so those, I mean, it's six different ways to look at things. But if I'm thinking about not the mindset of the scorecard, but the practical application of a scorecard yeah. when you can rank, okay, what's the security look like, right? Or you even just ask yourself the question, how's this gonna impact my liquidity? What does this do for acceleration of my plan? Is there predictability and where are the things that could derail this? How do I make sure I get to the outcome that I want? Where's the efficiency and does it provide income? then I think you start a more robust analysis of what the opportunity actually is. And right. uh, 
And this, this, I actually had a conversation with a client of mine who is a real estate investor and they had the potential to um, do a, a project and they, they were looking at kind of the Burr method, right? You buy, you remodel, you refinance. I, I'm missing an R in there somewhere, right? But um, you renovate, I don't know. So you, you look at what she was doing. I got that. Is that where he got his name? Yeah. So, yeah. So when you, when you look at what actually happens throughout that process, there's a capital outlay that then for this particular person, they're looking at like a buy and hold kind of situation. Oh, it's rent is the last one. There you go. So it's like uh, renovate, refinance, and then rent, I think. Um, and so, and I could be totally wrong, but those make sense to me. So yeah. this, this woman is looking at buying a multi-unit property and then putting in a certain amount of money to drive rents up by a certain amount. And, um, she was trying to decide whether it made sense or not. And one of her buddies was like, no, 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 you shouldn't do that. The math doesn't work. And she was like, well, the math looks pretty good to me. And so she was like, what am I missing? And so we kind of went through the analysis and what we found is the math on one of the units made a lot of sense, but on the other one, because she could just come in and raise the rent immediately to market rent because it was being rented way below market, um, that she could end up with more cash flow for the investment. So the IRR was actually higher. And the math that we actually did was if you put this much in to rehabbing the property, and it increases your rent by this much a month, when do you actually break even? Because your principal has come back out. And it was like 10 years. And I said, you know, do you think if you just had that cash that you could get that money back plus an actual return in a shorter time period? And what time period would it be if you just took that cash and used it to flip two additional homes? And she was like, that would make a lot more sense to do it that way because I have more capital that I can put into something else. And I'm already making a big profit from, you know, just buying and raising rents on this property. And right. so when you look at what actually happened there, it was a measure of what's happening with your liquidity. How do we build in efficiency for the actual returns? How is it impacting your income? Right. And then is it actually accelerating things or is it slowing things down if you do it this way? And so that, that when you have that filter, you start to ask yourself very different questions about what's happening with your money. Um, And, and so she made a totally different decision than she would have made without that conversation. Right. Well, and I think it goes back to that idea of the scorecard, right. And there, and there's a hierarchy in the scorecard. And and that's what you mentioned earlier is if the offset, the original investment wasn't a bad investment. Right. That, wasn't a wasn't a horrible deal. Created passive income, a great deal. The break even was a little wonky, but it wasn't a bad investment. It just wasn't the best it could be. If you didn't go right. a couple of layers down into the scorecard, which I think is really important. Mm-hmm. So what? So what would you? You know, we talked about that idea of security. One of the things for me on the security side, and most of the security side is actually really boring. Like there's nothing sexy about security. Yeah, it's the stuff people don't want to talk about. Yeah, but for it, me, it uses the word insurance a lot. <laughs> yeah, well, because you know, or you got to have gobs and gobs of cash sitting on the the sidelines ready to go. Either way, nothing's right. exciting about it, right? But to me, you know, when I think through the lens of security, and I and I sort of dovetail that with income, one of the things I'm always thinking through is, do I have enough disability? Because if I can't work, I need income coming in. If I'm dead, sucks for me. 
but I need money coming in for my spouse and my family so that they're taken care of for income. But to me, both of those things are there for protection, but they're there for income protection, not just protection, right? There's other stuff that you need for like my house burns down and stuff like that, but strategic stuff, because nobody's requiring you to get disability. Nobody's requiring you to get life insurance, right? Neither of those things are, are requirements. Yeah. I mean, I sometimes think the security part of this are those grown up conversations that people don't really want to have. Yeah. Um, you know, I think it also includes things like your will, um, how, how your estate is going to be handled. Um, right. You know, the, the succession planning for your business, I think falls under that security side of things as well. Knowing if you have a business partner and they're not there. How is that going to impact the business? Are you going to be in business with their spouse or, you know, were they doing a job that if, if they're gone, you got to pay somebody else to do. I mean, there's just so many pieces of, of this. And I think that, you know, the ability to add in, like to me, the security piece, paying attention to that adds in predictability. So yep. when things go wrong, do I have a predictable result? Because the question is not if something goes wrong, it's when. Yeah. And it's I don't know what will go wrong, but I don't know anyone's life who like they just scripted it and it perfectly came out just the way they scripted it. That's that's not real. And well, if that's you and you're listening, please call us. We'd like to learn more. Well, it reminds me of a saying that I that somebody told me when I was skiing when I was a kid, when I was a high school kid, a college kid. And I said, man, I didn't fall at all today. It was a pretty awesome day. And he's like, you had a horrible day. Like, what do you mean? He's like, you weren't pushing yourself hard enough. You didn't learn anything new. Learn anything new. You were just kind of, you're just existing in the universe. So if everything is going as you had scripted it in your life, I would argue that maybe you need to, to push yourself a little bit out of the nest, baby bird. It's going to be yeah. off. Yeah. So I think, I think part of this is, and just to kind of pull this together, I think the first layer thinking about mindset, the first layer of building a scorecard is understanding what you actually want from your life. Yeah. And I, and I think that's an interesting thing. People always say material things don't make you happy. I'm just going to tell you shoes make me really happy. That is a material thing. I love putting on a sweet pair of kicks. That is It's not even about other people or what they think of my shoes. It's about what I think of my shoes. Um, And I know that's totally superficial. And I'm just going to say this out loud for everyone. I don't care. Right. I mean, I think we all have those things where we're like, it's fine. I'm just going to admit that I am not noble in the way I think through that. I I like having new shoes. Other people don't care. Right. If it's not on your list, that's totally fine. It, It doesn't have to be. And if you want to judge me because it's on mine, that's fine too. That's your prerogative. I don't care. Yeah. Away. <laughs> Eric's like, do you have new shoes? I didn't notice. Right. Um, but I think, uh, I, I think understanding what you want and really having those conversations with, uh, with your spouse, if you're married or with your partner, if you're thinking about getting married, um, you know, I, and if you're just single, you need to know this too. Right. I mean, there's no, there's no wrong way to do it, but I think being very clear on, how do you find your sense of purpose and fulfillment? And if you're listening and you're like, I have no idea how cool for you that you get to start this journey where you're figuring that out. Yeah. And, and I think once you're clear on those things, you can start building your life 
towards that. And then that sort of six-figured Venn diagram of security, liquidity, acceleration, predictability, efficiency, income is a good way to say, is this moving the boat faster in the right direction? Because just going faster, if you're going in the wrong direction, is not going to help you. You have to be moving in the right direction. And that, I mean, to me, those two pieces, if you have that down, you're going to start filtering all of your decisions very differently, including who you hire as an advisor. I mean, I, I had the privilege of interviewing for that position for a potential client. She was like, I just don't know how to, how to make the decision. And my comment was, I think that you need to pay a lot of attention to whether or not your advisor is asking you what you want in your life. Right. It's because not how, how can somebody help you get the things that you really want in your life if they don't even know what they are? And that doesn't mean like I'm buying a second home. That could mean that, right? But it's bigger than that. What in a, in a world where there are no limits, which by the way, is the world we live in, how do we actually take the resources we have and design something that we're excited about? And well, yeah, and and that's what and Luke Burgess talks about this in wanting. He says that the hard part that we have is deciding between two really good options. And if you don't have a hierarchy of values, you don't know what's at the top and what's at the middle and what's at the bottom, then you have no you have no methodology for deciding between do I do this house over here that's got decent cash flow and a break even in 10 years? or this section and then this section that I get a better a better overall experience. But if I don't know what my hierarchy of values are in, in each layer, then I'm, I'm stuck between two seemingly okay decisions and there's no way to make that right. call. Right. And that goes back to a conversation we had on our podcast a long time ago, which is the OODA loop. I'm telling you, John Boyd is my spirit animal. That guy was a brilliant guy. He's a kooky right. guy. But you can brilliant. shorten your decision-making time right? yep. if you know what you're trying to do. Well, and you know how you're oriented. You know what, what works for you and what doesn't work for you. Do we use summarize that for everybody just at a high level? Here's what that means. Yeah. Sorry. I don't know how people are like, let me pull my car over right now so I can Google OODA loop. I don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> yeah. So the, the short version, it was, it was produced by a guy named John Boyd, who's an Air Force colonel. And OODA loop is an acronym for Observe, Orient, Decide, Act, uh, is sort of the high level view of it going 50,000 feet, 500 miles an hour kind of thing. But basically what it says is, and, and in military concepts, it's whoever goes through the loop faster wins. Because if I can see what's going on, I can, and I, and I have the right orientation to understand what's going on and make a decision and attack or an act faster, then I'm inside the bad guy's decision matrix. I'm inside his decision loop and I, and I can throw them off balance. Where I think it helps from a personal side and from a business side is the orientation part is the the biggest component of those four. That's your scorecard. That's knowing how you actually define winning. Right. And then the observe is, I'll use Bitcoin, right? I see Bitcoin. I'm running through the orientation. I've got an income orientation. I've got a safety orientation. I've got liquidity and security. Does this help me achieve and move those things forward? Does it help make the boat go faster? Yes or no. And if it doesn't, the decision's really easy and I have nothing to do. Right. 
And it's if you if you can get really solid about that orientation component, that what are your hierarchy of values, what's the scorecard? Um, the the decision cycle for your life goes so much quicker because you've got a shorthand to go, this is to this, 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 yes. Okay, I'm in. Well, and then you're not wasting all the emotional energy on like, oh, did I miss an opportunity? Should I have done something? Should I have, you know, shoulda, woulda, coulda, because you don't know how to make that intentional decision. And I think being able to just ask yourself those questions when you're in that sort of observation, the data collection side of things makes the actual decision that much easier to make. And so I, I, you know, I promised we'd be all over the map today and I feel like we have been, right? I mean, it, it's, but I I think to me, what I take away from this conversation is that you have to know where you're going and then you have to figure out if the decision that you're making, whether it's professional, whether it's financial, whether it's personal, is getting you closer to whatever your goals are right? And having a metric that you're actually scoring the decision so that you know, yes, I'm in or no, I'm out. And you know that quickly so that you can move on to the very, very next thing. Yeah. And And that that requires a degree of clarity that if you don't have, that could be why you're feeling stuck. Yeah. And and it's amazing. And I've done it before and I've watched you do it over the years is you get some new opportunity or a new thing comes your way and it looks like you're making a decision incredibly quickly, but you're not. You've been thinking about that decision for the last 20 years in different facts and different variations and forms. And so you see the new thing coming and you're like, nope, we're not doing that. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You're like, no, we're not. That's. Here's why. And here's, and that's the point. Here's why. Because if you can articulate why or why not, you know you're making a good choice. If you're like, I don't know, it just feels right. It's like, nope, nope, go back. Mm. If you can't articulate, right. well, then, then you have to ask yourself why. Why does it feel right? Um, but you know, it's funny that you say that because uh, you know, at some point we need to have Mike on here. I feel like it would give it would give our listeners like a totally different maybe opinion or insight. But Mike told me at some point he said, you know, you used to terrify me because it just seemed like you're making all these impulsive decisions like all over the place, like something comes up and you like, okay, we're going. And and one of Mike's strengths on the, the strengths finder is deliberation. So he spends a lot of time thinking it, very deeply when something comes up. Do what? Is it a strength some days? It depends on the day. Like, I, I mean, yes, I think it is a strength, but it is also a, uh, deeply annoying for me right in the same way that i'm annoying for him let's be honest right the activator is driving him nuts yeah i'm like let's go let's go and he's like i'm still thinking about this um and you know it's honestly it's a really good balance i think because he prevents me from making mistakes because he's thinking about things at a very very deep level and i push him to actually do things as opposed to just think about them because i'm like ready to go let's do it um and i think he would agree with that if he were on air with us right now. I always, I know he listens. So I'm like, God, what is he going to think after he hears me talk about him? But um, it hasn't caused any fights yet. So I'm really proud of that. Um, But yeah, I mean, he said, you know, as I, we've, we've been together, we actually just celebrated 20 years together. It's not our 20th anniversary, but it's like 20 years that we've been a couple, almost half my life, which is crazy. Um, But you know, what he said is now I trust that you just assimilate the information a lot faster than most people. 
Like you're, it's never impulsive. It's always deliberate when I'm making a decision. It's just that I am pulling all of that information in at a speed that I think freaks most people out, especially because I don't always communicate what the thought process has been to get there. It's just, I've made a decision and it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. How, how did we get here? Um, you know, and I honestly, like, I think he's good for me because he makes me slow down and appreciate the present as opposed to always just thinking about where I'm going. And that, that degree of balance, it's like super attractive and super annoying at the same time. And I find like, actually like the, the traits that I love most about my husband are also the ones that drive me the craziest. And once I was able to articulate that, I was like, Oh, it's just, you know, it's like a pendulum, right? It just swings back and forth between the two, depending on the mood I'm in. But, um, How's that for ADHD? That's like way off topic. Um, no, but anyway. I, I, that's what we're trying to get for everyone is a, none of the metrics and scorecards are net worth. We haven't talked about that yet, but I'm just throwing it out there. It's a dumb metric. Shut up. Stop talking about it. But the other part is if you know, that's a comparison network and uh, metric. I mean, not network. It is because nobody about cares. comparison when you start doing that, as opposed to how do I get the life I'm excited about? It's totally mimetic. But the other component of this, and I think we can wrap up with this, is the mission that we want for our clients is making decisions faster, but having it be quality decisions and decisions where you know that as you're making those decisions, you can see that you're improving and you're moving forward. It's like intentional, of- deliberate decision-making towards a specific goal and scorecard that you have set yourself. Yes. yes. Awesome. Absolutely. Okay. All right. Eric, where can they find you? Uh, on LinkedIn at Acorn Grove and on Instagram at Economics with Eric. Awesome. If you're looking for me, you can find me at The Wealth Woman wherever you social media. We'll see you next time. See ya.